Hey guys, it's Haley. Welcome back to Kindled. Today I have a very interesting conversation with my friend Liz Megley all about health freedom and some of the public health policy response that we have seen in the age of COVID. Before getting into that conversation, I have a couple announcements. The first one is if you have not left a review or a rating for Kindled and you listen regularly and enjoy our content, I would love for you to do that. You can click into the podcast app, click a star rating and leave a few words. Uh, thank you in advance for doing that. It helps the podcast get found so much and um, I just appreciate it a lot. I hear all the time from people that they discovered Kindled just by seeing it recommended to them by the podcast app, which they will do based on reviews, based on how many people are recommending this certain podcast, they will suggest it, you know, at the bottom of the screen. And so that is what reviews do. That helps the podcast get recommended to people based on what they're listening to. The other announcement is that after today's episode, there are two more Kindled episodes in this season, and then I'm taking a break for June and July. So I know that's going to be sad for some of you, but I'm not going away completely. I will still be releasing episodes every week of the summer inside Patreon, and that is for our Patreon community. You can join for $10 a month, and what you get for being a part of that community is bonus episodes every week, like I just said. They release on Fridays, and they are called Firestarters. They are 30 minutes or less, so they're a little shorter than these, but they are typically just me and the mic. Uh, We do monthly live Zoom calls, and we have our own private community where women can actually get to know each other and chat and discuss different topics, and it's in an app called Discord. So if you do not want to be without Kindled for the next two months, June and July, hop into Patreon and join us there. You can uh, join and learn more about all of the different benefits of being involved at patreon.com slash Kindled Podcast. Would love to see you in there. All right, those are the only announcements I have for today. Um, The next thing I want to say is that um, this conversation topic is extremely controversial, and I recognize that and realize that there are a lot of different opinions and situations and experiences that go into someone's perception of what we just walked through in the last year and a half with with COVID-19. So... I want to say that if you disagree with our take on this topic, that is okay. This is, um, I know it's controversial. I know that, you know, based on what, you know, what your situation has been and uh, what your medical situation is or who in your life you know that has either had the disease or how they were, whether they just recovered and they had no issues or whether they passed away from it. I know there's just going to be a lot of different takes on this. And so my hope with this episode is to um, express some concerns that I and I know many people have over the response, uh, the public health response of lockdowns and the issues with health freedom that have become a part of all of our lives, like it or not, in the last 18 months. And I think that it's important for us to have these conversations, even if we don't agree 100% on the solution or even on the problem, we need to keep talking about it. We need to keep normalizing having discussions, even if we disagree. 
And that's something that has not been okay this year. We've noticed like it's not been okay to have conversations. It's just everyone kind of keeps their head down and minds to their own business and don't talk about it. And I hate that. I hate that in really any context, but especially something that is like so important. And I want to know, I want to have conversations about it. I want to know, I want to know the reason behind something. I mean, even just understanding the reason behind certain policies is really helpful in dealing with like the deleterious or negative effects of those policies. And so we're talking about it. We are bringing it into um, the open to discuss health freedom and to discuss these very controversial topics. We understand that not everyone is going to agree, and that is okay, but I do think that it is worth having the conversation. I realize that you may be frustrated if you are on the other side of the fence of this conversation and you're listening to this like, well, where is my, you know, where is my perspective represented? And what I would say to that is the alternative perspective to the one shared here today has been the mainstream perspective um, this whole time. And we are offering an alternative to that. A uh, we are we are trying to bring up some of the other issues that have been basically pushed from you know from the public conversation. So that is what we're providing here today. I can only speak from my own perspective. I can't speak from anyone else's. And so this is my perspective. I don't think anyone who listens regularly will be surprised by that. Um, because I am, a, I am very much an open book, but, um, I also want to just say that this is not about necessarily the particular issue like masks or vaccines. It's about the idea that those types of issues belong in a category that should be protected by, uh, medical or health freedom. And those should not be mandated by our governments. So that is what we are talking about here today. I know it's kind of confusing. It's messy. It is just so sensitive and touchy, but I wanted to provide that background just up front so you kind of know where we're coming from. Okay, I think that's all. Here's my conversation with Liz Megley. Liz, thank you so much for being here today. Yes, thank you for having me. So uh, I know you in real life um, and you are in my brother's small group at church, correct? Yep. (laughs) So we are real life friends, but um, we kind of connected this year uh, around our similar view of all of this COVID madness. And so um, it's been nice to have uh, someone that is like-minded who I know is kind of pushing back against a lot of the uh, overreach that we have seen in 2020 and even into this year. Um, So I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners and tell them who you are and what you do. Okay, awesome. My name is Liz Megley, and um, most recently I helped found an organization called Missourians for Health Freedom. I'm also a small business owner um, in real life, and I just became a mother um, in February of 2020, which was a crazy time to um, bring a child into this world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that sure was, man, pandemic babies. I know. Um, So yeah, so tell me a little bit Tell me a little bit about um, Missouri, Missourians for Health Freedom, what that is. Absolutely. Missourians for Health Freedom is a nonprofit that we launched um, in response to all of the government overreach um, and potential, potential government overreach that we've encountered. So um, in 2019, an organization, and I'm in Kansas City, so 
um, just I'm using this as a reference, I guess, mm -hmm. for anybody else out there. But in 2019, Kansans for Health Freedom launched, and it was a group of grandmas who were concerned about um, there being legislation in place or potential legislation in place that would require mandatory vaccinations. Um, but they are, um, it was there, um, all the grandmas that were involved in this were Christians, and they said, let's just really pray about what we're supposed to do um, in response to this calling that we feel. And they um, all agreed to title the organization Kansans for Health Freedom instead of Missourians for, or instead of um, like Kansans for Vaccine Choice, for example, because they said, well, we never know what will come in the future. And mm -hmm. um, we, we know there may be other health freedom um, issues that may come up. And then lo and behold, like eight months after they founded, COVID hit. Um, and so they've been able to have great impact. So um, since we're on the state line, Kansans for Health Freedom is really what inspired a group of us in Missouri. And we felt like, hey, Missouri needs an organization just like that. Mm -hmm. So Kansans for Health Freedom has been amazing in um, mentoring us, helping us get the legal framework established. And we really just wanted to model after what they do. So Missourians for Health Freedom takes kind of a three-pronged approach. Um, so we're focused on educating the public about health, what health freedom is and why it's important, um, advocating at the local and state level for um, legislation that will protect our health freedom, protect and advance. So we have some existing laws that we wanna keep on the books, but we need um, more protections in place for things like, for example, the COVID-19 vaccination passports. Mm -hmm. um, and then also the third prong is community. So we really wanna build um, communities so people know they're not alone and they can take action at the local level. Yeah, I love that. I think that is just so amazing that you actually did something about it and that the, that group of grandmas was already kind of in the works. That's incredible. I mean, that's that's providence for sure. It seriously is. It gives me chills when I, like even now just talking about it, but when I first heard their story to have that, I think that like God speaking to them about, hey, vaccines isn't, vaccine choice isn't the only thing coming down the pipeline um, for them to name the organization, have that broader health freedom focus. This was yeah. just definitely a God thing. Oh, for sure. That is amazing. Um, so you personally, you started the, you started Missourians for health freedom. Was that after or before you started your Instagram account? That was after. Yeah. Okay. So it was, I think, um, in the making, that was kind of what I think led me to that point. Got it. Okay. So, so you started an Instagram account, live free KC, um, as you know, an expression of what you were seeing and, and what you saw as a, a, some really concerning things. But why don't you tell us what kind of motivated you to start that? And, and that'll launch us into, you know, all the things that we're going to talk about. Totally. So um, after becoming a mom, I had a, my, my son was like four weeks old when the shutdown happened in Kansas City and they closed all non-essential business for 30 days. And I was like, yeah, yeah this is concerning. We don't know what this virus is like we can be prudent. And of course, in retrospect, I'm like, why did I ever go along with that narrative? Um, but after those 30 days, it's like, this is not how we are meant to live. We're supposed to live in community. Like I can't as a brand new mom be isolated from everyone. Mm -hmm. And so we started seeing friends and family just kind of going about our lives, visiting churches that we're meeting. And, um, and then a few weeks after that, it was, you know, there's just so much information out there. And I really wanted to start expressing my concerns over lockdowns and restrictions and government overreach. But I thought, well, people probably don't really want to hear all of my opinions on my personal Instagram. Um, mm -hmm. And I want to just kind of be able to speak freely. So um, that's why I decided to launch a separate page for it. And then I also had the idea of 
I want to um, connect with and encourage and inspire people in our in the Kansas City metro to actually speak out against what they feel is wrong and take action. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what you and I have both seen so often. I know from you know you can you can say the same thing. I'm sure from your DMs that you get in your messages and maybe emails, just how so many people have questioned what the response has been and how things have been handled in public health policy. And yet they do not feel the freedom to speak their mind. They do not feel the freedom to question anything. It is not okay to ask questions. It is not okay to evaluate any actions. It is just like, if you don't fall in line with whatever that policy is, which you know, is another, is a whole nother topic, but if you don't just fall in line with it and say, this is best, we're going to do this because we've been told to, because this is how we need to respond. This is how we stay safe. This is how we love our neighbor. Then you are demonized and you are made and you're ostracized and, and made to be, you know, just like the worst person in, in the world. You're made to feel terrible. It's happened to me many times. And, um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, has that happened to you? You know, because I started the separate account, I haven't had people who um, really embrace the narrative um, mm-hmm. about how, you know, your mask. I mean, even in your normal life, you, like, like um, yes, I have, I would say more than being demonized. What I find is that like, people are just passive. So even if I like, for example, go out without a mask, I have been, I would say very blessed in that I haven't had nasty confrontations. I know a lot of people who have. Um, but I find that people are so complacent and, and like you said, it's a combination of being afraid to question the, afraid to speak out against the narrative. Mm-hmm. People are afraid to question it. Um, and so people really just seem to be, to me, extremely passive for the most part in this entire mm-hmm. situation. I know because you've been a lot more vocal that you probably have had some people be more, I don't know, um, I mean, a little I, bit nastier. I must look like someone to fight with because it's like when I go to a store and I, if I don't wear the mask correctly, or if I don't wear one, or if it's, you know, an inch below my nose or whatever, I just, there's always, maybe it's not a comment, but there's definitely looks for sure. Sometimes comments and, or, or motions, you know, it's just, it's crazy. People are, um, people feel the need to, to speak into that. But as we're getting into some of these specific issues, you know, I think where I wanted to start this conversation was with, um, with the science, because I think it's hard to really start talking about, well, we disagree with the response if we don't talk about, well, why don't we do, why don't we agree with the, the way that public policy has been handled over the last year? Why do we disagree with mask mandates and with lockdowns and with stopping people from living their lives for 13 months, going on 14 months now? Why do we disagree with that? And um, I would like to see if you have any stats to share. I do have some stats to share, but I want to see what, if there's anything you want to add to that before I, before I share what I have. Um, go ahead and share your stats and then I'll speak to them. Cause I think we probably have, um, pretty similar things. Similar. To touch okay. On. Well, yeah. so there was a study that was done in the American journal of medicine, which showed, uh, it compared symptomatic to asymptomatic transmission. And it, what it did was it used the model of a family living together, presumably unmasked, you know, intermingling, just a, a single family household living together. If that, if someone in that household was asymptomatic, the transmission of COVID was about one in a thousand. Uh, I'm sorry, hold on. Seven out of a thousand. Um, so seven people out of a thousand people would be infected with COVID 
in that environment of that single family household, right? Unmasked, like living together, cooking, eating. In the case of someone who's symptomatic in that household, it it uh, the rate of transmission increased about 20 times to 18 and 100 or 180 out of 1,000. So you're 20 times more likely in that household to get COVID with a symptomatic individual living in the house with you. So if we think about that example and we look at, okay, seven out of a thousand, if you're asymptomatic versus 18 and a hundred, if you're symptomatic, and that's again, one in five, you know, basically that, that leads us to some other conclusions about how we live in the world with people who are not in our household, right? Like if I'm walking down the sidewalk, you know, in my neighborhood, there is virtually no possibility of me or jogging past someone on a walking trail, uh, those types of situations, um, let alone driving in my car alone, there is virtually no possibility of me catching COVID, maybe not none, but next to none, you know? And so, um, because everything is probably, there is a statistic obviously for everything, but, um, but I just think that's so important to this understanding of, of why these public health policies were put into place was to stop the spread to, uh, you know, flatten the curve or, or slow the spread. I should say that was the impetus behind all of these mm-hmm. things. And I think you and I would agree there is a place for reasonable public health policy. The goal of that being human flourishing. So we're not against having any public health policy whatsoever or protecting people in any way, shape or form, um, to any degree, I, I think that there is a, a rightful place, but if the goal is human flourishing, we need to look at that human flourishing holistically and not just on one front being whether or not you catch COVID, right? <laughs> like as though that is the only measure of whether you are living a good life or you are even, um, you know, living at all. That's right. And speaking to human flourishing, I think that's where my biggest issue comes into place with um, the mandates that local health, locals and state health departments have put on these communities is that you're not looking at the whole person's health. So for example, mental health issues have skyrocketed. Um, there are reports on that um, through um, different like government entities. I've actually submitted open records requests to the city of Kansas City, Missouri, asking for the suicide data for 2020 compared to 2019, um, two separate times, and they have refused to provide that information. Um, just to compare, just trying to see like what, what has the true impact been? Though I do know that there, I spoke with a nurse who, a contract nurse who was working um, for the state of Missouri, taking, fielding these calls for people in crisis and said that that the numbers have skyrocketed for people who are suicidal, depressed, um, you know, cutting, hurting themselves, um, substance abuse, like you name it. People are not flourishing under these policies. And I would argue that the suicide rates and the harm that has um, happened to children living in isolation and even adults not having any community is, I would say, the death rate is probably much higher than what we're seeing with um, the actual mortality rate for COVID. Yeah. Yeah. That's so crazy. So they wouldn't even give you those records? Um. In, they didn't say that in those words, but they um, kind of gave me the runaround saying, well, we ha- the numbers have to come from the state and they're not finalized yet, even though my understanding is that they provide those numbers to the state. So hmm. who knows? we'll see. I'm going to ask again, but um, I don't think that we will get that data in probably at least another year. Wow. That's interesting. It is crazy. 
Yeah. I mean, but I know that some places have already, you know, provided all kinds of reports and statistics on that of, of extreme increases in, um, in suicide and in all of those cases of abuse and domestic issues, substance abuse, like you mentioned. So, um, and of course, you know, tragically, the people who are the most hard hit by that are low income families, you know, people who cannot, people who, who need to be getting to their job and their, their place of work is either closed or, you know, has cut people's hours drastically, or their children have not been able to be in person in school. And so you, they've had to find alternative, you know, they've had to take care of their kids. And uh, it's just been, you know, I, I don't want to regurgitate all of it because we've all been living it. And I think that most of us understand that a lot of these policies have done a lot more harm than we might've ever thought they were going to, or mm-hmm. uh, that they obviously intended to, but the question is, you know, um, ha- have they actually, it has the intent been to truly cause human flourishing or has it really been for mm. ulterior motives? And, um, you know, and, and what do we see as we are starting to get what we, we started with two weeks to slow the spread, right? And then it was a month. And then you remember back when Trump said, he was like, we should be done by Easter. It's like laughable now. Cause now here we are one East, one year later, past Easter, and we're, right. We're still not, we're still not even through in a lot of places, mm-hmm. let alone in Canada. I mean, I know that like in Canada, they're still back under, they're on their third lockdown now. I mean, it's just, it's tragic to see um, churches limited to uh, a friend texted me this morning. Her church is limited to 10 people this Sunday. And there is usually more than 200. I mean, it's just an, it's craziness, but, um, wow. What, what are your thoughts on, I mean, could you speak to just kind of the public health care, uh, or public health policy response to COVID? Yeah, sure. I'm where to start. Um, there are so many things, but I would say that they are, I would say that the public health response, they are the true science deniers. They are refusing to look at any data that that, that does not fit the policies that they've implemented um, and the direction that they want to be headed regarding mass mandates and um, mass vaccinations for COVID. Um, And I, I truly believe that, or not believe, but they also should not be able to institute um, orders that affect the entire population of a community. So for example, in Kansas city, the, um, the um, health department director and the mayor have had these orders in place now, like you said, for 13 months. And two men should not be able to make laws that affect a half a million people. So instead of it being in the health director's hands, an unelected official to implement these orders that they're treating as laws, it really needs to go through the legislators um, at the state, county, municipal levels. So I think the um, health, like public health policy has been, they've been given way too much power. Their power needs to be checked and reined in. Um, and that would apply for county states and obviously at the federal level as well. So these organizations like the CDC should be, of course, allowed to make recommendations, um, but why they are given so much clout, especially when there's data that they ignore, um, definitely points more to corruption than um, truly caring about our communities. Right. Well, and like you said, I mean, obviously we can make inferences about why the the record request was denied or at least delayed for now, but, but w- we haven't seen 
Um, you know, we haven't seen any sort of a comparable response to all of the detrimental detrimental effects that the lockdowns have actually caused that that we right. can point to um, increased mortality due to suicide and increased depression among teens and children. And I mean, it's just tragic college students, you know, locked in their dorms, really not able to uh, have, you know, have any semblance of a normal life, mm-hmm. like th- just all of the, all of the effects. I mean, I've heard message after message from people who have told me, oh my gosh, like this is so hard on either my kids or my nephews or nieces. Like uh, it's just tragic what, what they're seeing, but we're not seeing like a similar concern over the, any of those issues. It's just like, no, the only thing that matters, the only value here to measure for is COVID. Everything else is irrelevant. And that's, that's really backwards because yes, like, yes, COVID is real. Neither of us are denying that COVID is a real disease that, that people can catch and can kill people, but there's other real things too. We can't, we can't just act like we're in a vacuum where the only risk factor is COVID. There are other things. If we truly care about people's health, that has to mean holistically. It cannot just mean their bodily health. It cannot mean just in their exposure to COVID. It needs to be their health overall. And I think my, my biggest frustration has just been out of um, a place of not seeing any concern for the, the, the actual thriving of humanity, the actual recognition that we are made to live in community with people. And Mm -hmm. there was another way to do this. There was another way to be smart, to be cautious, especially around those who are high risk, like the elderly. We could have approached this so differently. And it's, it's surprising to me how quickly, uh, you know, I don't have an answer for this. It's just surprising to me how quickly everyone jumped to this one solution of lockdowns, isolation, you know, stop living your life with no question and almost no data. It was just, it was like our brains shut off and we just all, okay, we'll do. And I guess I do sort of know the answer in the beginning. It was because of fear. Like, and, and I, I, I didn't know either. I I mean, I was opening my Amazon boxes on the porch. I was being careful. I was ordering Instacart and just never going to stores. I was reasonably concerned, right? And, yeah. Until I knew that what we were dealing with about a month in, I was like, okay, I'm starting to get a little tired, tired of this. Like I want to be able to bring my mm-hmm. kids to a playground and play on the play equipment. And it was all taped off, you know, until like June. So it, anyways, I, I think I get, I get the initial fear, but the sustained prolonged fear as we got more and more information And as it became more and more clear that this was not, like we said earlier, this was not a disease that was literally mowing everyone down right and left. It it really was the highest risk for the elderly, for people with underlying conditions like obesity. I believe 80% of people who have died have been obese. That's information that's helpful to know. It it allows Mm -hmm. us to go, okay, look, like I can actually reasonably go back and live my life. Um, I don't have to live under fear, you know, for the rest of my existence. Right. I know. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, like you said, focusing on the whole person is a huge issue. Why aren't they recommending supplementation like vitamin D and even like talking about mental health, like things like magnesium help you be not stressed and things like that. Um, so exercise and supplementation and getting good sleep and, oh, also your mental, emotional well-being. So go see your family and hug your grandma and hang out with your friends. 
Um, and if you look at the CDC published um, total amounts of death, total amount of deaths in the US for the last decade, the amount of deaths in 2020 compared to 2019 was almost identical. So, you know, for example, my mom recently said, well, there were 500,000 additional deaths in the US due to COVID. Those people wouldn't have died. And it's like, actually, if you look at the amount of people that have died due to COVID, most are elderly and, or I would say at least over the age of 55 or 60. And this sound, not to sound harsh, but these people were probably going to um, pass away mm -hmm. this year due to one um, ailment or another. Mm -hmm. And there's also been the data published, of course, about how um, most people who have passed away to COVID had over, what was it, two or three or 3.6 comorbidities. So mm -hmm. they were obese or diabetic or um, whatever right. number so, of other So distinction ailments. there of dying from COVID versus dying with COVID. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But we have not made that distinction, or at least we should say the mainstream media has not made that distinction clear at all for people. No. And I actually, when I was requesting information from the KCMO health department, um, asked if they could provide the number of comorbidities or the death and death records for these individuals. There were about 500 people that passed away in the first 13 months due to COVID 500 in a city of 500,000, which I think is pretty in line. And my math isn't great, but I think that's pretty in line with the overall death rate, which is like what one tenth of 1%. Mm -hmm. Um, and they said they do not track comorbidities. So we have a, um, public mm. policy affecting 500,000 people just in our area, for example, that to be clear, there was no data supporting community-wide masking before they implemented the policy. There was right. no data supporting lockdowns would flatten the curve. And like you said, 13, 14 months later, we're, we still have community-wide masking policies mm -hmm. and there's still no data to support that they're going to change the, um, the trajectory of this virus. And they're not even comparing it. They're not even looking at comorbidities or, you know, the death rate compared to 2019 or 2020 or so many other factors. Um, and if you How were to, can, yeah, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. No, oh, you, well, if you were to apply common sense and logic to this. You would say, hey, surely this does not justify the level of response that we've seen. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted that they would not track comorbidities. Why? Like how, why, who, what, what, well, it just makes no sense. To get on a bit of a tangent, but not, I, I did listen to Live Not By Lies when I was on my, my vacation mm -hmm. recently, and I loved it. And I completely agree that we're living in an age of soft totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. And it's sneaky, and it's more dangerous because it is hard to put your finger on. Mm -hmm. And while, like, I agree with you, COVID is real, um, I think the um, powers that be decided that this was an opportunity mm -hmm. to tighten their grip and gain more power and control. Um, and you can't miss an opportunity like that if that's your yeah. goal. Yeah. And Q, I will tell everyone to go listen to my episode on the Great Reset with Justin Haskins, if you have not, because um, that's what that's about. And we won't get into that today. <laughs> but but yes, I mean, absolutely. I think it was just an opportune. Uh, it was the perfect it was the perfect storm it was the perfect yep. moment of opportunity to seize uh, fear. And mm -hmm. whenever you have a community in fear, you are able to control them better because they will respond to promises of safety and to promises of security and guarantees of health and well-being, all the while literally making themselves unhealthy and unwell, you know, mm -hmm. staying home, locked inside their homes. I mean, I, I know of people or I have friends who have friends or family who have literally not left their house, yeah. been locked in their homes have had food delivered, have just, I mean, it's so sad to even imagine what that would be like if you were 
it's one thing if you're an adult making that choice. I'm like, okay, you can be an idiot and ruin your own life all you want. Fine. It's just another to think about the children that have been in those scenarios. Mm. And I mean, it's so, it makes me sick to my stomach, how heartbreakingly sad it is that what people's lives have been like, I'm thankful. I don't even know the degree that, that some people have been living in such isolation and, um, and, and, and out of fear. And, you know, some of them, I will say, you know, maybe it's just ignorance and not, and not having any source of information other than CNN and, you know, the mainstream media, perhaps like that, that's, that's some people. And the local news networks too are pretty. Yeah. They, they encourage it because I mean, that gets them the fear cells, like we know all 10 viewers that are watching. Um, yeah. And it's, it's really sad, but I think, man, it is just, it is, it is insane to have seen this year unfold and to like, I I would have never guessed we'd still be talking about it. I know. I mean, I can't believe, I, I hate that I even have to interview you right now, but I, but I'm like, we still, I'm not, I don't, I, I do see a lot at the end of the tunnel in some ways, but I also am like, we're not out of the woods and, and we obviously didn't see this coming. So what else could we not see coming mm-hmm. that might be around the bend, whether it's, oh, there's some new variant, um, which the data has not shown that variants have been significantly worse than COVID or even such that you could actually be infected by a variant if you had already had the first one, um, according to some of the sources I've listened to, which I can link in the show notes. But, um, you know, I, I think that we have just seen, we, we, we were talking about public health policy a little bit ago. Um, what could we have done instead of that? What, what should we have done and what should we do next time? Um, I have some ideas, but what are your thoughts on that? Well, like you, Haley, I have a background in communications and journalism, so I'm not one to speak to um, necessarily public health recommendations. We're just two moms (laughs) telling everyone what we think. So yeah, there you go. So um, in my opinion, in retrospect, we should have let natural herd immunity take its place. Never before when a new virus um, has kind of popped up, have we gone and taken these severe measures. Whenever there's an immunocompromised person, they are the one who typically takes care of their own health and they take... um, the precautions that they feel need to be taken and that their doctor recommends. So never before have we had these types of um, situations where they were expected to um, alter our course of life, not take our kids to school, not take our kids to the playground um, to protect the immunocompromised person. And I mean, I know we're both believers that we're called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We love all people. Um, and I don't want to um, diminish that whatsoever. It's just, there is um, something called personal responsibility and we have the, and then this is something I'm very passionate about is bodily autonomy and we have free will. And so these people can choose um, how they want to live and we should be able to choose to do the same. Mm. So, and when you mentioned the elderly earlier, like I have a huge heart for that. I grew up in nursing homes because my dad was a nursing home director. And I think the biggest, like, as far as the health policy goes, what we should really have done differently is not have isolated our elderly because going back to mental health, they are in a fragile place already. When you're in a nursing home or a retirement home or a long-term care facility of any kind, you need socialization and human interaction and physical contact and hugs and love and things to look forward to. And so, um, you know, preventing patients from having access to an advocate like a doula or um, your support person at doctor's appointments Mm -hmm. is a crime. And I think it should, it probably violates patients' bills of rights. Um, but I especially am upset about how our elderly population has been treated. They have become the voiceless, you know, the 
the voiceless part of our society. Yeah. And they're dying in isolation and dying of loneliness and depression. And that is unacceptable because we should be honoring them, yeah. not yeah. locking them away. Right. I a hundred thousand percent agree. I mean, my grandma recently passed away and she was in a, a nursing home. And I mean, visits were, were not allowed for a number of months. I don't know exactly how many months, but I mean, by the time I, I got to visit her before it shut before they closed off public visits and um you know she was she was talking she was saying she was she was able to say my name and and remember me and and talk to me and ask me how my girls were and when I went back to see her uh a a couple weeks before she died she was I mean almost unable to even speak she was laying in bed, um, you know, just, and, and she did have multiple sclerosis. So there's a disease progression obviously, but there was just a big, there was a big difference between how she was before to how she was after. And and I'm not going to say it was all due to lack of social interaction, but I do believe that had a large part to play in her deterioration mentally and physically, because like you said, like, she kind of just had, that was the only thing she had to look forward to that and bingo nights, you know? And Mm -hmm. so it was just really, really sad to see. And I'm thankful she knew the Lord. So I know she's, she's certainly not wishing she was back here, but um, it was just like, wow, that, and I know so many people probably listening are, have had similar situations or perhaps didn't get to even say goodbye before their loved one passed away. And it is unacceptable. I mean, truly, like you said, such a disrespect of human life. And that's what we actually see from so many of these policies that, that you and I are, you know, angry about and, and, and frankly, just outraged over. It's like, they're in the name of, of protecting life, but health, they actually, yeah. health they, they do the opposite. And that's, what's mm-hmm. so wild is that in trying to quote unquote, you know, stay home, say, save lives, you're actually, you're actually, harming lives, you know, you're harming so many lives. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's where I'm just like, man, people have got to learn how to think critically about the decisions they're making and, and take, you know, reasonable precautions and also reasonable risks. I mean, all of us have been getting in the car to drive somewhere every day. Mm -hmm. And we knew there was a risk that we could get in a wreck, but it doesn't mean we're not going to drive. You know, we, we're, we have to live our lives, you know? Totally. The lack of critical thinking is scary and sad. And I'll just throw this tip out because I go back to this all the time where why can I see this so, this situation so clearly while, and the issues that are at play while other people have no idea and refuse to see it. And growing up as a kid, I asked questions all the time. I was one of those kids. It's very annoying. I'm sure if you were my parent, but my dad never answered my questions directly. He would always respond with a question. Mm. And then I would say, you know, the dialogue was always him asking more questions to help me make, you know, do that critical thinking and come to those answers myself. So I feel like that's just a tip that I really want to, you know, use with my son. Um, And I think other parents could as well, especially when, you know, it's kind of depressing to see the state of our education system. I think that's a tool that we could use to help foster that in the next generation. But um, I know we're supposed to be talking about health freedom and what it is, why it's important. What are the issues surrounding health freedom? Um, So if you want, I can kind of touch on those. I would love for you to. Yeah. Okay, cool. So, um, 
I'll start saying I'm just a big freedom advocate in general. So that's something I've always been passionate about. Again, going back to my dad, I was always raised like government's always going to seize control when they can. You know, we need to be advocating for freedom and our individual rights and protecting our constitution and bill of rights. Um, and so while I am not a passionate, you know, back, I would say I, health freedom wasn't at the forefront of my mind. So to be a part of a health freedom organization, I never would have seen myself in this place. Um, but it is the issue of the day. So um, to me, medical freedom is a uh, health freedom is um, the right to bodily autonomy and to um, make decisions for ourselves regarding masks. Every, you know, all of these things should be optional. We right. were given free will for a reason. And we, you know, this country was founded upon the freedom of religion and free will. And so bodily autonomy is just one of those elements of free will. So um, any vaccine mandates, COVID-19 vaccine passports, mask mandates, you know, not being able to choose the best route for your loved ones regarding their care. Um, all of those things um, are part of what health freedom is. So it's a really broad thing. And, you know, what else we were chatting about before the show started is we don't know what's coming. So there may be health freedom issues at play here that we aren't even aware of yet. Right. Yeah, that's really helpful. You mentioned bodily autonomy, and this is maybe something that is a new term for people. Um, sure. And could you just expound on what you mean by that? And also from a biblical worldview, how we think about that in light of the fact that like our bodies are ultimately not our own, they are God's. Um, what do you mean by that term? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll, I'll start and then please feel free to add anything I missed. So um, to me, bodily autonomy is the ability to make decisions for ourselves that um, don't violate our conscience or our religion or how we choose to, um, what we choose to put into our body or on our body. So we're told, you know, in the Bible that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and to honor God with our body and to avoid anything that defiles our body. Um, and so, for example, um, with vac vaccines, I know that's a touchy subject and everyone, of course, has the right to choose, hence my wanting to advocate for bodily autonomy. Um, but with vaccinations, for example, um, more than 27 of them contain human cells, cellular debris, protein, and DNA. And that's human cells that they're injecting into your body um, or particle, you know, pieces of them. And where did those human cells come from um, is a big, you know, issue to, to, I recommend exploring. And so it would be against our beliefs to be required to inject products that violate what God tells us to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Do you think, do you think that kind of a, yeah, no, I do. Um, yeah, I think the, the point being, we're not saying, uh, when we say bodily autonomy, we're not saying we are autonomous ultimately from God, our creator and maker. We're saying we've actually been, um, given, we, we've been made in the image of God. We've been given free will. We've been given a mandate to steward our bodies according to mm -hmm. God's word and what he says glorifies him and honors him with these bodies and so to, to basically hand over that stewardship that has been given to us um, as individuals, as people who follow him, his word and his law, to hand that over to the state, to Caesar in a sense, and say, you get to mandate my body um, is not honoring to God because that's not right. the state's lane. That would be the government being, uh, they would be out of their lane in, in a sense, um, you know, taking, taking rights that God has entrusted to us to 
to steward our bodies well uh, it, in the very same way that he's given us children to steward. They are not ultimately our children, right? But I mean, they, they are our physical or our, we've adopted them or whatever. They, we, are, we are to steward them. But we recognize that ultimately um, they're gods and and they are ours to store it according to his word. So we don't mm-hmm. want to say, I'm going to hand that over to the government and let the government tell my children what is true, teach them how, you know, what their faith should be. And, and I'm not even speaking of public schooling. I'm just saying hypothetically as a, as a comparison here, if you were to say, I want that to be the government's job, well, that would not be glorifying to God. That's not in line with his word. We can see clearly. And so it's the same thing in my view of bodily autonomy. That means we are to make decisions. Like you said, according to our conscience, according to God's word, according to our beliefs. Um, and so many decisions that we make about our body have to do with religious convictions. Sometimes even what we eat, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, we, right. uh, there's a lot in the new Testament about, uh, you know, food sacrifice to idols and, and is it okay to eat or not? And so that's a whole different issue, but all that to say that there, there are places where this is, um, you know, this is something that we need to really consider that it's not, it, it's not just, a do whatever the government says is best. Like there, there is some personal responsibility here that I believe is actually biblical for us to maintain. And it's not honoring to God. uh, If you want to take a a Christian argument, because I do think that this comes from a lot. I've heard this from many Christians that, you know, the loving thing to do is to just love your neighbor. And what that means is do whatever the government tells you is loving. And I just have to go, really? Is that, is that our standard? Because if the government tells you to sell out your neighbor and then they're going to ship them off to a concentration camp where they're going to be, you know, forced into manual labor and then uh, put into a gas chamber, is that still the loving thing? Okay, no. So then where do we draw the line? When do we decide that the government has your best will at heart and when it doesn't and how do we know, you know? And so I, I think that's just why we have to err on the side of, you know, look, if we're believers, we know that our heart is to glorify God and that we're going to seek to do that to the best of our ability. It's best to be able to do that uh, with as much freedom as possible. Yeah, I completely agree. And that's why I'm passionate about um, health freedom and making sure that our health freedoms are protected at the local and state and even the federal level, because we do need to have the free will the person, and have our own personal responsibility and that bodily autonomy to make sure that we can either accept or decline any medical intervention, procedure, injection, face covering that we want to accept or decline based on our individual convictions. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, just briefly, I've said this on Instagram before I'll say it here, just in case anyone is thinking you're saying bodily autonomy, what do you, what about abortion? I, this always comes up because people think, well, wait, you're not pro-choice when mm-hmm. it comes to abortion, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, it's not your body. <laughs> abortion exactly. is, is killing <laughs> someone else's body. They have bodily autonomy too, because they are a, a, a being, they are a human being made in the image of God as well. And so there you go. I mean, that's, pretty much all I feel like we need to say to that. That's a completely, I completely different agree. conversation. Yeah. So <laughs> I completely agree. That so. baby has bodily autonomy too. Exactly. Um, okay. So where do we need to go from here? Um, what do you have left that you want to talk about? Um, I know we kind of have a short amount of time, so I feel like we've hit on the high, you know, the high level yeah. points of what health freedom is and kind of the issues surrounding it. Um, I know one question we chatted about was, you know, that I got, I've been involved at the local level, how I did that and why it's important for other people too. So um, again, I started out with the Instagram page, 
Um, one thing I did not expect to come from 2020 is how many friends I made online. I don't know about you, but like before 2020, I thought it was a little odd for me to make friends online. Yeah. And then lo and behold, I found my people. Um, and I know there are a lot of people, like-minded people out there who are also trying to find their people. Um, so I just encourage you to um, look for these groups on Instagram and Facebook. And even, um, I just heard this great story of a woman who moved to Kansas, the Kansas City area right before 2020. And she said recently she went out for the first time in like a year, not because of fear, but because of not really being able to, not wanting to abide by mass mandates. Mm. She had been kind of not, not, go not not going out but not going out to restaurants um Mm -hmm. and she said she looked at this informational board at a cafe and just said prayed and said lord help me like find my people or point me in the right direction like who am i supposed to find here and the missourians for health freedom business card just happened to be pinned up at that cafe and that's how she got connected with us and so you just never know how you're going to get involved with people Mm -hmm. um another way is you can keep tabs on your county commissioner um, weekly meetings. That's how I got connected with the Kansans for Health Freedom group um, and a lot of other health freedom advocates around the area. So um, holding your elected officials accountable is just so important. And there are a lot of ways to do that. Yeah, that's great. That's great advice. And you've even spoken at some of those meetings. Um, I've cheered you on from the Facebook, you know, Facebook live stream (laughs) as I've watched that. Um, And I'm just, I'm really encouraged that people like you, um, even a few years younger than me are, are taking action to get involved and to speak out. And I would say, even if you're listening and you're like, I don't know if I really want to do that, or if I feel confident enough, or I just feel like this is something I'm, I, I I'm convicted of, but I'm not sure how to really take action. I would say the most fundamental thing you can do is like Liz mentioned that book by Rod Dreher is live not by lies. Do not be mm-hmm. coerced into living and believing and thinking exactly what you are told just because you are told it. The the most powerful revolution starts in your own mind and heart. And uh and, and that is where I think you have to begin is is refusing to compl- uh completely just uh absorb and um, blindly parrot, whatever you're told. I mean, that's, that is a huge, that is a huge thing to do in this day and age of cancel culture and, um, you know, judgmental pharisaical, uh, you know, even in in the Christian world, um, being treated very other, it's hard to stand up. It's hard to resist the temptation to just Mm -hmm. say, okay, you probably know best. Like it's, it takes energy to think critically. It takes energy to read books or listen to podcasts or be informed literally just to even watch the news takes energy. So doing those things is important. I don't want to minimize that and say, you have to go speak at a, a commissioner's meeting. You don't, but you, you do need to actually, actually just think for yourself. And, and that's, I think what you and I are just encouraging people to is just continue to think for yourself, continue to uh, ask questions like you, you suggested of even with your children, if they ask questions, ask them back, help them learn how to think critically um, mm-hmm. and keep asking those questions and refuse to believe that um, you're hateful or wrong or stupid or an idiot. If you do so, you know, that's, it's not true. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Like start, it does start with your own mind and thinking for yourself, but I take it one step further and just urge everyone to not just be on the sidelines agreeing with us, but it is time to take action. And you don't have to go speak at the commissioner meeting or go to the Capitol and rally, though we are doing that next week because they're refusing to bring a bill to the floor that will actually prevent um, mandatory vaccinations and allow for really? 
um, you know, better religious access to religious exemptions and things like that. But like taking action can be such small, you can do it in small ways and take baby steps. And the more you do it, the less scary it gets. So my big thing, which Haley probably knows is, and that's another reason I started the page was like, I'm really against mask mandates. I feel like it stifles the person. It kills off like that sense of community. It's, it's, it's against our humanity, I would Mm -hmm. say. Um, and so I don't wear one and I have not worn one since last August. Wow. Um, and it definitely is a challenge. Um, but just for some like little, you know, tips for inspiration, if you're feeling called to take off the mask after 14 months, um, is call ahead. I call ahead to restaurants before I go and just say, Hey, members of our party can't wear masks. Are you able to accommodate that? And then they can make a note in the reservation. And I've yet to have an issue with that. For example, go to grocery stores where, you know, other people, you know, where, you know, they might be more understanding versus um, threatening and things like that. So just those baby steps you can, or even like email your school with your concerns, or if you don't want your child to wear a mask to school, there are lawyers who will send letters to that school on your behalf. So reach out to people like myself and others in your community for tips on how to do this, because there are people out there doing it and we're happy to encourage you to do the same. I am, I am impressed by you. You have, uh, you have a spine of steel because I, (laughs) wow. But pre-2020, I was a rule follower. If the sign said it, I was following the rule. And my husband is the bold one. He's like, forget the sign. Yeah, that's totally, we're the same way in our marriage. Yeah, I I get that. I just, (laughs) I think it's like, like I said, I literally have a kick me sign on my shirt or something because people love to tell me what to do. Or I just, maybe they can tell, maybe I just have that look of like, I'm, I'm totally, I totally question the system and I wear it on my face. And so people want to talk back to me. I have no idea. Um, I need to be less approachable somehow and make myself look meaner. So people leave me alone, but, um, I'm, I'm impressed (laughs) that you've been doing that since August because it's mentally exhausting. It's really taxing to even, I don't even know how you go shopping because like if I go in in target and I just want to not have to think, I just want to have it, even if it's around my chin, because it, it makes me know that I'm, it makes me feel more at ease, like more at peace because I'm not going to be berated for, you know, being, being a grandma killer. I know it is. And we just went, came back from a two week trip road trip, of course, cause I refused to you know, wear the mask to fly. We went to Utah and California. And so I had humong, you know, tremendous amounts of anxiety about going to California. I was dreading it. Um, and we were in Palm Springs and then like uh, Newport beach. And I actually was like, I'm going to wear a mask into Walmart. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. And my poor husband is like, are we going into Walmart? Are we not going into Walmart? And, um, finally I'm like, okay, we're going to wear the mask into Walmart. He's like, okay. He's supportive, whatever. And so we're walking into Walmart. I don't, I haven't taken it out of my purse. And he's like, are you going to wear it? And I was like, I don't know. And we're walking towards the door. Are you going to wear it? And I was like, I don't know. And then I'm like, no, we're not, you know, and nobody said anything. We were treated so kindly in California. Um, and then we went out to dinner at nice restaurants, um, outdoor restaurants. Nobody said anything to us. So again, maybe we've just been really lucky, but I do say prayers to have good interactions and, you know, to make a difference. And instead of being, um, I think I, I try to be highly approachable. I don't really get approached, but I just try to smile and, you know, people are afraid and they just need joy. And if we're spreading joy and love and saying those prayers for, um, guidance in those moments. That's definitely my best advice is say a prayer before you do it. (laughs) Yeah. So I shouldn't try and look like a jerk. I should smile and (laughs) freak them out. And then maybe, maybe that's the thing. People are like, stay six feet away from me, lady. Like get out of here. 
Yeah, exactly. I honestly think people who don't wear their mask properly get called out more than like the people like me, which is really an interesting dynamic. I don't know why that is, but they're like, oh, I can, you know, educate you on how you need to wear your mask. Yeah. You must not know it's not above your nose. I'm like, no, I'm fully aware. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, and obviously no judgment for anyone. I'm fortunate enough like you to be self-employed. So I don't have to be torn between wearing one for work or not to provide for my family. Right, right. Um, and obviously I know many people do. So yeah, no and it's, this is not a, it's this just, is not yeah. a moral issue. Like whether no. you wear a mask or not, what we're saying is that you should have the freedom to choose, you know, exactly. You and I'm not going to judge someone for wearing one or even give them a hard time about it because yeah. I firmly believe in that freedom of choice. Yeah. I agree, man. Well, Liz, where can people connect with you online and get in touch with you if they have questions or want to learn more about how to start something similar in their state? Sure. Yeah. So for Missourians for Health Freedom, our Instagram handle is at Mo Health Freedom. And my personal Instagram is at LiveFreeKC. And send me a message. I'd be happy to connect. All right. Thank you so much, Liz. Yes. Thank you for the opportunity. It was awesome. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. I hope that that conversation was encouraging. I would encourage you to reach out to Liz on Instagram if you have questions for her or want advice or tips on how to kind of maybe attack some of these issues at the local level, especially in your school districts or your communities. And some of the things she said piqued your interest. Uh, Reach out to her and ask her for some advice and how she got started and any resources that she has. I know she will be glad to share with you because this is something that is so near and dear to her heart. And again, you can find her at LiveFreeKC on Instagram. And you can find me on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled. So come say hi. And we would love to know your name, who you are, where you live, your story, all of those things. Um, Okay, that is all I have. So if you're in Firestarters, I will see you on Friday. And if not, I will see you next Monday. All right, guys, have a great week.